Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy podcast with me, Alison Perry. When you're pregnant, isn't there just so much to deal with? You've got worries about your health and the babies, morning sickness, tiredness, aches and pains. But my guest today suffers from a mental health condition called tocophobia, which affects her when she's pregnant. Jess Jones is a blogger and does stand-up comedy as the fat, funny one. She is so worth following on Instagram. She's so funny and she does brilliant stuff about body confidence and being a mum. She's a mum of two and she's currently pregnant with her third child and in all three pregnancies, Jess has experienced an extreme, irrational fear of giving birth. She chats to me about what that was like and how her tocophobia developed, how it wasn't picked up on by midwives and doctors for quite a while and how she was eventually diagnosed. Jess has approached her second and third pregnancies with a completely different mindset and during our chat, she shares the very practical things that she has done to tackle tocophobia. Welcome, Jess. Do I call you Jess or Jessica? Oh, Je- unless you're telling me off. Jessica. Yeah, that sounds very formal. Just Jess. Jess is Jess, fine. Just Jess. Yeah. Um, I know you as Jess, but for some reason I've got written on my questions sheet, Jessica Jones. That sounds so funny. She is a superhero. I know. When I Googled you, I was like Googling, doing a bit of research, and I typed in Jessica Jones, and I was like, oh, no, not that one. <laughs> oh, no, I am that one. Super strength and all that jazz. <laughs> that could be me. I don't mind. So you are the fat, funny one. And that's not me being, you know, like that's, that's not me labelling you. <laughs> This is this is what you how you label yourself. Yeah, yeah, and people find it really awkward to come up to me and say that, which I find really funny because they're like, if it's not you, I've just gone up to a random person. I'm going to use the fat funny one, and they'd be like, pardon me, uh, but no, that's me. Uh, do you know what I love though about that is um, the fact that you are totally comfortable to call yourself funny, but yeah. I think that a lot of people. Even if they think it themselves, like, oh, I can be a bit funny sometimes. Or like maybe at school, you were like the funny one in the class and you always got the laughs. To actually have the confidence to say, I'm funny. Yeah, which is funny because actually I'm probably not to many people. <laughs> um, and um, and people do. I think comedy is one of those things that are a bit, it's subjective. But some people will think it's hilarious. I've watched comedians and gone, uh, don't really get the point here. And others that have me absolutely belly laughing. And I think it was just... That was my role in all of my friendship circles. I was kind of the chubby, geeky one who liked to make a laugh and made fun of myself. Um, not necessarily the people, but I just wanted to be the one that made people laugh. Um, and so I kind of went with it. And then the fat bit was just me owning the word again. It was used against me for so long. And I thought, no, like, 
this is this is me. I'm I'm the one who likes to eat. I'm the one yeah. who's the chunkiest. I like to have a laugh. So and there's no shame no. in having a larger body uh, than the not. next person. Yeah, absolutely not. I just think I'm so with you on this, and I really feel like this is a journey, a journey that I've been through as well in the last kind of five ten years. Is accepting the way my body is mm. and not beating myself up and not apologizing for it and not trying to hide it and I think that people like you who are out there you know and being really confident about your size I mean let's face it you're not you're not massive no so I'm on average I'm about size 16 depending on where I buy my clothes and I always tell people about clothes sizes because I just I find them ridiculous because I could be a 16 in one shop a 10 at okay I don't think I've ever been a size 10 since I was probably age 10 I once I, I, <laughs> I once I once bought um a size 10 parker jacket from Topshop and I literally felt like I, I think I kept it for about seven years <laughs> just to prove that I was like it. I bought a size 10 jacket it was obviously really oversized but on me it was quite snug <laughs> I, I just think it's it's one of those things. I'm an average sixteen, but actually, in society's world, that is that is big. That yeah. is, is a big size, and I'm I'm very conscious of actually. I'm still not. Um, you know, some people go, but you're so tight. That's the first thing some people say to me when they mean, but you're actually not even that. And I go, but actually, in society's terms, I am. Yeah. Um, and also, I still have somewhat of a privilege of my size because I can go into a high street shop and buy clothes. Yeah. And there's a massive portion of women who can't do that. I mean, I get annoyed when I walk into. Uh, trying to think where, where I've been into Reese I think Reese mm. only goes up to a size 14 and I'm lucky if I can walk into a shop and put on a size 14 ice no clothing and have it fit well yeah. I'm more likely to be a 16 sometimes an 18 yeah. um, and I feel really annoyed when I go into Reese and see something I like and think oh no actually that's probably not going to fit me yeah so then how do people feel when they can't walk into the majority of high street shops yeah and I talk about that a lot and it's funny because I did um, some work with Primark who I absolutely love and someone said to me well that's really unfair because you know you talk a lot about plus size women but actually a lot of us can't buy our clothes from there because they only go up to size 22 which they do and it is it is frustrating and actually brands like them are brilliant because I you know when I meet up with the teams I'm like look what else can we do mm. why is there a blocker here because there is a mass like a huge portion of women who've got money ready to shop who are fashionable and stylish but just have bigger bodies why can't they buy clothes like everybody else I'm it guessing really I mean I'm guessing for them it's a financial decision they're thinking well how many women are there who you know what's our potential market at that end of of size and is it worth our while Mm. so that's still not fair it's not fair Mm. on those women that these brands are making those decisions based on money which makes me laugh because actually there's a huge portion of money here ready to be spent Mm. and actually if you look at the brands who are going into curve ranges and and offering that they're making tons of money and actually that's a a massive chunk of their income now and because actually that's it it shouldn't be a niche but it it is that not every brand offers up to those sizes so the brands that do do really 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 well um and I just keep saying to people like it's just clothes like find something that you love that you want to wear and wear it all the time like me I've probably had these jeans on for about four days in a row oh my goodness but they're so comfy I'm honestly like I'm such a one trick pony when it comes to fashion at the moment I'm obsessed with pleather leggings I've got like three pairs and I just rotate them yeah that's literally (laughs) I'm in maternity jeans at the moment so these are like the only things that fit and leggings leggings are life I think when you are pregnant it's like your your wardrobe just shrinks doesn't it (laughs) And you either have to wear things endlessly or just be constantly washing them. Yeah, so I've got two pairs of maternity jeans and a black dress. And that's it. That's it. On rotation. Yeah. Um, So what we're going to discuss today isn't funny at all. No. 
Which it's, I guess is quite strange because a lot of what I talk about isn't funny. Um, so my, my name doesn't sometimes match my content. But no, I, I, but I think that it's really important to have people who are willing to talk about the lighter side of life, mm. but then also dig into issues, whether it is about um, weight and confidence or whether it's about mental health or all of that stuff. So I think that actually, to me, it works really well. Thanks. So we're going to talk about tocophobia. Yes. Um, for anyone listening who isn't aware of tocophobia, what is it? So the dictionary definition is the irrational fear of childbirth. So it is a very odd topic. Um, and for someone who's on their third baby, I guess it seems very strange. Um, but I had no idea what it was until I was diagnosed. So I had no clue. Um, so I've got two two daughters um, and then I'm having a third now. Actually, having a boy now, but I'm having a third now. Did I miss that news? Yeah, I'm having a boy. I can't remember if I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if I knew that or that not. That makes me sound really happy about it. <laughs> no, do you know what? I think, because last time I saw you, I think you were having your scan like that a few weekend, days later. Yeah. And I was like, are you going to do a big gender reveal? What yeah. are you going to do? No, we did with our family. Um, we did record it and post it, but not on purpose. Well, in fact, that was just horrendous because I asked my mum to hold the camera and she got so excited, she like threw the phone across the room. <laughs> and there's like literally two seconds of like blue dust and then there's nothing. Um, but yeah, we're, we're having a boy this time, which is really exciting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really excited. But my first daughter, Sophie, is seven. And when I was pregnant with her, I was only 22. Um, and not had any children before. And it's one of those things that you get excited about the kid bit, but you kind of forget the birth bit it's kind of just something you don't really think about and it, yeah. t- it wasn't until I got pregnant and then I suddenly thought oh I've got, I've got to get this baby out um, and it was probably about halfway through my pregnancy I started to worry about the impending birth and that's when you kind of get the questions from midwives you know what birth are you thinking about and I was like oh gosh this this actually has to happen and so I went to um, antenatal classes um, which were recommended and they were brilliant apart from the one about birth where I just had a massive panic attack mm. so everything else not a problem talking about breastfeeding talk about this and then suddenly it just built up this massive anxiety and every time I spoke to my midwife about it I kind of got brushed off with well you know it's the fear of the unknown you've never had a baby before this is completely natural and I guess she's probably dealing with those sort of questions all the time and yeah. it's not necessarily immediately clear that you are somebody who has got an irrational big fear rather than just yeah normal worries yeah and I, I was according to her a young mum I was 22 and I'd never had any children before so for her it was like completely and it is yeah completely of course you're worried worry. yeah um but it, it escalated and escalated and, and points where I realized actually it was beginning to become something else was um I started to have really bad nightmares really horrendous graphic nightmares um, where me and my baby just wouldn't survive and mm. that was kind of the end of it and I had them constantly I wouldn't sleep I wouldn't I stopped being excited about having a baby because I just thought I've got to get her out and I, I don't want to do that and it just built and built and built and built and built and it was horrendous and how did it feel when you weren't being listened to by by the midwives that you were that you were seeing so did that make it worse yeah and I think it was really difficult for me because actually they were listening to some degree because they were trying to be reassuring but I don't think anyone really understood the extent of it um and it was like I guess to their degree your baby's got to come out so you know don't worry about it when it comes we'll deal with it at the time and birth is one of those things that you can't necessarily prepare for because anything can happen and whatever happens everyone's interested are you and your baby safety and I think that's what they kept saying to me you know whatever happens however your birth looks we want you both to be safe so don't worry. Didn't you have a a, um, an appointment with a midwife where 
you were asking for a C-section. Yeah. And she kind of, did, did she, she, she tell you off? Yeah. So I ended up complaining. And so they made me see the midwife who was the head of the midwifery-led unit, which was all about uh, vaginal births. That's kind of what they do there, which makes sense. Um, it's very much almost like a daily. You know, you go in and six hours later, you and your baby should be able to go home. So they invited me there, which I actually didn't want to go there, but I went for my appointment and I just said to her, look, all of the women in my family had had C-sections and they had my mother, my grandmother, my aunt. I, I didn't know anyone in my immediate family who'd had a successful vaginal birth and they all had more than one child, but their first children all were very quite traumatic births and ended up in emergency section. And then subsequently they had uh, sections after that. So I was a bit like, you know, if they've all had that, then surely I just, just skip the emergency mm. bit and just, you know, make it really structured and then I'll be fine. And a lot of people were like, how could you think a C-section is better? That's all I said, because it was in a controlled environment. And yeah. that's the one thing I felt I didn't have um, with this natural labor. I just thought I'm not gonna be in control of anything. So I explained this to her and I just said, you know, I've looked at this, I've looked at this. And, and she just went through this, this page of risks, which everybody does but she went extreme and, and she said some really horrendous things. And I never want to repeat them because I don't want anyone else to listen and then, you know, them having a C-section think, oh my goodness, because I don't want to go through them because actually she pushed them to the limit. Mm. Things that were, you know, 0.001% chance she would go on about. And she said things like, compare me to celebrities, which was really strange. Well, it's like too posh to push, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, she, she mentioned loads of celebrities, which was odd because she wouldn't compare me to my mother. She kept saying, you know, you're going to be different to your mum, you know, you, mm. you know, she, yes, she had this traumatic birth, but you'll be different. I said, well, you can't compare me to a celebrity who I've got no relation or any context to, but not relate me to my mum, that doesn't yeah, make sense. Yeah, no genetic link to <laughs> Victoria Beckham. And it's funny because that's who she mentioned. And actually, that if you look into Victoria Beckham's history, she didn't actually, wasn't too posh to put, she had an emergency section for her first child. So people always think, oh, posh boys had all these C-sections, yeah. but actually it was for medical purposes, but no one talks about that bit. No. So she made me feel really bad and... I left the appointment and I got to the car park and I was with, with Trevor, my husband, and I just was hysterical, like completely hysterical. And he rang my mum and was like, I don't know what to do. And my mum said, you take her back in there so they can see the extent of what's happening at the home. Effect. Yeah, they need to see that this is the point she gets to. So we went back in and, and this lovely student midwife was like, oh gosh, and took me into this little room and got me a cup of tea. And she just said, I, I don't know what to do. And I started to explain. She said, okay, you need to kind of write it down and tell us what happened. And so I had to go through this whole complaints process. So I had to write this really long letter. I think I sent it in an email and sent it off to the hospital. And then I got a letter from a consultant inviting me to come and see him. And as soon as I walked in, within minutes, he was like, okay, well, I'm going to diagnose you with something called dockophobia. And I was like, what is that? And he said, your, your fear is, is completely irrational. It's, you know, you're really struggling. And he said, and the, the best thing we can do is book you in for an elective section because it's going to be the only thing that probably calmed you down. My goodness, what did um, you feel when he said that? Was oh it my God, a sense of relief? Such, such relief. Like, he was so brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, and he was one of the contributors to the NICE guidelines. So he knew so much and was so supportive. Um, and just as you know, these these are your rights. These are the things you can say. And, and they did pick it up with the midwife who then actually wrote me an apology wow. um, a bit later. But it was so strange. He just was like, yeah, okay. And he was like, so you're going to be 39 weeks here. We'll just book you. It was so bizarre. It's like booking your hair. Yeah. Hairdressers. He was like, so can we do two o'clock on this day? I was like, what? That's so strange. But I suddenly had this sense of relief. And yes, of course, I still had this real fear over, over a C-section, you know, I, he still went through the risks with me. They have to. Yeah. 
but I just felt it's going to be controlled. Someone's going to be there, and they're all going to be there, and they're all going to know what happens, and you know, it's all going to be fine. And it was. It was. I didn't have any issues, um, and it, it kind of just. I don't know. After that, once my baby was here, I kind of forgot about. <laughs> I was going to ask you that whether there was any lasting effects. No, I mean the thing. Some of the things she said to me, yes, and I remember some of the things she's saying to me really stuck with me. And I remember asking him, like she said, this would happen, and he was like, pardon. And he, you know, yeah, he was like, yes, but that's, you know, not something that's ever happened in my career. Don't, you know, try not to worry. Um, and he was really, really reassuring. And kind of after that, I think, apart from the things that she said that kind of made me go, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen, um, I felt much better. And the only thing on the day is I was booked in for the morning and then there were a couple of emergency sections that had to go before me, so I had to wait um, and I remember getting to the afternoon and being like, okay, now I'm really anxious. Yeah. I just I just want this over and done with. Also, you can't eat anything, can you? So no, you're, which you're is so annoying because actually, if you're in an emergency section, you could have had a whole buffet That's before. So um, but no, you couldn't eat. So I was kneel by myself. So I remember shouting at Trevor because he was eating a sandwich. I was like, get out. Oh. I just want to eat. Um, but no, she came at two o'clock and my mum was there in the hospital and, and Trevor came in with me. And, and it was it was lovely, like, you kind of do. And I think, actually, even now meeting loads more mums, which I guess I didn't have many mum friends at the time, a lot of people say, no matter what birth you have, it is afterwards, you you forget yeah. to some degree because your baby is here. Yeah. And then you're suddenly in love with this tiny human and you forget yeah. a little bit. Um, do you think not having mum friends at the time, do you think that perhaps contributed a little bit? Do you think that it might have been easier if you'd had people to chat to and yeah. hear positive birth stories from and yeah although going to baby groups after no one really shouts about the positive birth stories and everyone no, tells you don't. how horrendous their vagina looks after yeah <laughs> like the first, i don't even know anyone's name and then like you know their birth story and then like halfway down the conversation you're like oh sorry what was your name yeah like, i know everything i know else. i know what a car crash your vagina looks like <laughs> But what was your name again? What was your name again? I know your kid's name, but, <laughs> yeah. but you're, like, you're like Sally's mum, yeah? Yeah, it's always it, someone's mum, isn't it? Always. And actually, that was one of the things I noticed a lot more after, was how quick people were to tell you their horif like horrific birth stories. But very few people told you about their positive birth stories. And when they did, they were always really shut down. So the, the mums that said, you know, I did hypnobirthing. Oh, whatever, you know, I yeah. took this drug. And, I, and it was almost like this birth competition sometimes. And it's I got really so hard, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I, I kind of think I definitely contributed to that when I was a new mum but I think for me it was like a coping mechanism Absolutely. because I had felt traumatised by my birth and I felt like all I was hearing was positive birth stories yeah. and the hypnobirthing and I honestly felt like there was this big conspiracy um, against people telling the truth about birth so I was like evangelical but like oh my god it's the worst thing in the world to give birth <laughs> which is so unhelpful and it's but it's also a safe space to some degree because it's, it's people who have had children who are going to understand where you're coming from so then, you can say it to I guess talk about your birth with other mum friends and you would maybe friends who haven't had children well I made the mistake of um when my uh, eldest was like seven eight weeks old going into the office like you do with like your baby and everyone crowding around me oh, and then like what was it like giving birth and I didn't know that one of my friends was pregnant she was like in the early stages and I was like it was traumatic it was horrific <laughs> and it was like months later she was like oh my god Alison when you came in and you said that I was literally like like sweating and heart palpitations <laughs> yeah. 
like thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to do this? But it's not just even the stories we tell. If you look at birth on telly, if you look at birth in movies, even when you're kind of taught, it's this, especially when you, I guess, related to movies or soaps, it's this thing where someone's sweating and crying and screaming and in pain and it's everything about it is scary and horrible and, and that's what, what the kind of the picture we're painted. And even like one born every minute. I mean, I was obsessed oh, I with watching it. it. I was going to say actually no. because... If you are, if you have got a real fear, that's no. probably the worst thing that you yeah, can watch. Absolutely. So never watched it ever. Um, it was just the worst. I couldn't, I couldn't grasp why it was. Because to some degree, it's an entertainment program, which I found really bizarre. Yeah. Um, but I just couldn't watch it. Never watched it. And even when I went for, um, to to well, I went to the appointment with the midwife and even with the consultant they offered to give me a tour around the delivery and I was like no that's just that's like hell on earth for me and I, I, I yeah. don't want to hear anybody in pain I don't it, that's just going to feed this whole fear yeah. um so I, I pretty much avoided anything and it's only when um I had Isabella and I went to a hypnobirthing course that I watched my first proper birthing video they do like to show you that at the um like yeah. I, I i had birthing as well and watching this kind of like grainy youtube video that they were <laughs> of like this amazing hypnobirthing yeah. birth hypnobirth yeah um yeah they do like to kind of say this is what it could be and like. that was the first time and i remember sitting there thinking don't leave the room don't leave the room don't. and trevor couldn't come with me because he was working that weekend so i went on my own and I went with Siobhan uh, Miller, and she's brilliant. And Is that Siobhan from the Positive Breath yeah, Company? Yeah, she's so lovely. And she knew why I was going, and I'd explained that before. And I remember her kind of looking over at me, and I thought, no, I'm, go- I'm going to sit here. And it, was, it wasn't on the first day, so I'd had a couple of days. And actually, I was like, oh, really? Like, someone, that lady's so calm, and the baby's not crying, and she's not crying. And it just helped feed, actually not every birth is going to be screamy and, and painful and, and scary mm. and it just helped ease that because it gave me another example of what birth could potentially look like that's the thing is that we have no, we've got no point of reference no. you know first time round there is absolutely nothing apart from your tv shows your one born every minute yeah in terms of personal experience we don't know what it's going to be like no and then my personal experience in terms of knowing birth stories was all my family who'd had all tra- like traumatic births so i had no positive reference when it came to delivering a baby at all and in between in between Sophia and Isabella I miscarried and I remember being that just feeding this fear even more so when I had Isabella we didn't tell anybody for for a while um and I was kind of a bit like okay I need I need to do something about this because I cannot go through the whole pregnancy just not enjoying myself because it's you know I'm doing something amazing I'm, I'm carrying a new life I, I really want to enjoy this when which you, when, is why I went to the course when you got pregnant of the second and third time when you had that uh positive pregnancy test where did you feel happy or did you feel like oh here we go again a bit of both I think there's part of you that's like oh my gosh this is this is great but then there was this oh gosh I've got to go through this again and I guess that the only uh, silver lining to some degree was that my c-section was positive with, with Sophia in the end and I had quite a nice experience there wasn't any rush or anything scary that actually happened so I had some sort of you know confirmation that we're both safe and happy so we will be safe and happy next time um, but with Isabella I really wanted to go down and looking at a potential vaginal birth I wanted to see you know I just wanted to challenge myself and I did Sean's course I bought books I did listen to every hypnobirthing meditation <laughs> you must have been the calmest oh pregnant lady ever I, I really enjoyed my pregnancy with Bella actually um, but then she was early 
she was early um, and I ended up getting sepsis and I actually was really poorly and had an emergency section. <sighs> so it was so, it just, I, I remember saying to the midwife, you don't know how much I've spent. <laughs> I've spent so much money to have, like, I'm going to have vaginal birth. I need to because, yeah. you know, I've spent all this money to, to get to a place where I'm calm and excited to have this baby. And now you're telling me I have to have an emergency section. I was like, oh, if I knew that, I would have just put the, the blooming elective at the beginning. How did you get sepsis? So my waters broke at 36 weeks, five days. And I actually thought I'd wet myself. <laughs> I actually thought I'd wet myself. I did the school run and one of the school mums was like, oh, you, you must be due soon. I was like, yeah, but I've still got work for a couple of days. Um, and I said, oh, but funny, like I, I wet myself yesterday. I said, but it didn't didn't smell like wee, which was good. And she was like, oh. Yeah. And then Are a couple sure of wee? <laughs> all these school mums were like, mm, and maybe just ring your midwife. And I was like, okay. Like, I was like, it'd probably be fine. Overreacting. Yeah, I was like, it's fine. And they were like, and then one of them said, oh, that happened to me. And I was like, oh, okay. So I rang my midwife and she was actually at the day unit in the hospital and said, just pop it in. And she said, but put a pad on so I can just see if you're still leaking or actually you did just wet yourself. And she went, don't worry if you have, like, no one's going to say you're silly. You know, it's better we just check. Yeah. And by the time I got there, she was like, okay, your waters have broken, um, but we want to get you to 37 weeks, which is just two days away. Um, so I had some injections and, and they the steroid injections. Yeah. They're really sore, aren't they? So sore. Um, and so I got sent home. Um, so I went home and they booked me in for an induction three days later, so 72 hours later. And then I did the, the thing everyone does and Googled what, what I should That's be doing. the worst thing you worst could thing. do. And most people were saying you really should, if your waters are broken, deliver your baby within 24 to 48 hours. So I kept ringing out. So she was like, you'll be fine. Um, and then by the Friday night, so I was booked in for the induction on the Saturday morning. Um, because I remember saying to her, but it was the middle of the night that this happened, so surely that was Tuesday night, so actually that's going to be too long. And I, my patient was like, honestly, you'll be fine. And um, and I wasn't. On the Friday night, I suddenly felt really ill, um, and I was shivering, but my temperature was really high, and I said, Trevor, I don't feel well. And he was like, you almost look green. He was like, mm. something's not right. Um, and he just put me in the car and took me to, to the hospital. We rung the midwife on the way. And I remember it being about 5 o'clock, and the traffic was horrendous. And I had on my coat, his coat, and then he was panicking and my neighbour was brilliant and picked up Sophia and we had this mad rush and I got to the hospital, got to the day unit and the midwife that was there wasn't mine, it was a, it was a different lady. And um, she put, you know, the monitor thing they put on your belly and she went off and she took my temperature and did a few bits and I could hear her on the phone to the delivery suite um, and she was going, you need to come and get this lady, something's not right. Mm. And I was going, is she talking about me? And Trevor was like, no. Fine, and there was nobody else. I was like, She's talking about me, is it? She's talking about me. I know she's talking. He was like, No, you're fine. And he did so well to just try and keep me calm. But it was all these things that I feared and had tried to push out had suddenly was suddenly like all the things back. that you were saying that'll never happen, yeah, yeah. And it was proved when I had to fear that actually everything could be fine. I was like, Oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh. And um, she just kept ringing them, and they were so busy, and it's, it's not their fault at all, and, and they were so busy. and she kept ringing them, and you need to come up and get this lady. She was like, I'm going to bring her down to you. She can't be, you know, she can't be here. She, you need to take it to the school. How much time had passed at this point? She wasn't actually born until after 10. So I was there for about two hours. Um, and I went down and the doctor came to see me. And I got moved around and monitored and monitors. I got given some fluids and some antibiotics. I couldn't keep all my coats on because they're like, you're raising your temperature. Mm. And, and you, you know, you can't do that. And I went back and forth, back and forth. Anyway, I finally went down to delivery and I went into a suite 
which had a pool and a birthing bowl. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Yeah. You know, I've paid all this money. I know what I'm going to do. This is the birth I want. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the midwife was like, oh no, you're just in here until we take you. We're going to have to take you for an emergency section. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and, but she actually had studied tocophobia for her dissertation. And there was a lot of midwives who hadn't, they, they knew about it, but hadn't done, it's not think something that's widely, widely talked about. And she happened to do it because her sister suffered. And I suddenly just felt this sense of calm because I thought someone know they don't think I'm crazy on being yeah, unreasonable. They understand. She understands. And she was like, oh, and I never forget her name was Jade. And she stole my sister, um, had tocophobia. And I studied it for my dissertation because it was really important to me about how I could support women like my sister. Um, and suddenly I think I just felt like I was in safe hands. And I, I actually shouldn't say emergency section. It was more unplanned section because an emergency section happens within eight minutes. That's mm. a real emergency. And actually this was just an unplanned section that needed to happen quickly. Um, and they're two very different things. And I think we use the term emergency section a lot. We do, don't we? And actually an emergency section is mum normally has to, you know, go to sleep. They have to deliver your baby within seven minutes. And from start to finish, that's how long it normally takes. Yeah. But an unplanned section is, you know, we just need to get this baby out quicker than waiting for you to deliver them vaginally. It hasn't been booked issue. in, you know, weeks, yeah. and weeks ahead. Yeah. And I think that the terminology makes a massive difference. So mm. it, it wasn't an emergency. No one was like, you know rushing around and, and you know I didn't have to go under general anesthetic or anything like that and it still was quite calm and they were still really nice and I asked for things like which I felt empowered to ask for like the lights being dimmed slightly and all these things that I just never thought about that still made me feel like I had somewhat more control and yeah. it could be how I wanted it to be um and then she came but we were still both quite poorly and I ended up staying in hospital for eight days oh. um so it kind of then threw this curveball of actually <laughs> Things can go wrong, but do they go wrong? Because actually, we're both okay. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Things do go wrong, yeah. but you, you you got through it, yeah. and you have got two healthy daughters. And yeah. I know that there is a bit of an issue with the kind of obsession with how healthy the baby is. Yeah, because actually, your health matters too. Yeah, and, and your, your mental, mental health. health. Yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> we're both on the same page. And I think that's what I really struggled with because for me and happy happy mums make happy babies as well and I think there was a lot of pressure to be okay and I, I, I personally don't like hospitals I find you know which sounds ridiculous because I wanted an elective section first time around but um I don't like staying there for, for long lengths of time um especially in like shared wards when everybody's feelings and emotions are kind of stuck in this room and, and you're kind mm. of trapped in this room and everybody's you know emotional and some people are in a lot of pain and I find it really hard That's to deal with intense, mentally it's it? really intense and I remember that because, again, that the ward was so busy that there was a woman who was in active labour who came in like the day after I had Isabella and was like, bless her in the middle of the night within the shared ward. We all had our crying babies and she was like in active labour. She did amazing. I remember her mooing and I was like, yes, I heard that in my course. You go, mum. And she was brilliant. But it, I find it really hard and it's such a mental struggle for me. Um, and midwives are so stretched and, and yeah. I did have one who sat me down at one point and she gave me a cup of tea and I was just like oh you're okay and I was like I just want to go home um, but there was so much focus on Isabella and actually she was fine and it was me who actually was quite poorly but there was still focus on on her and I just I just want to go home yeah if she's fine let me just go yeah. home um, but yeah I think it's difficult it's really difficult because you know we all want everyone to be okay um, but there just does need to be some consideration, I think. But it's time. Have people got time to do that? And we just don't. Yeah, it's the time, time and resources, isn't it? Yeah. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, so then third time, well, fourth, fourth pregnancy. Yeah. Um, what are you doing this this pregnancy to? I mean, you know, it, it's a, it's a mental health condition. Mm. Um, do you have access to any kind of therapy or support? No, so nothing has been offered to me so far. So I've actually gone a bit a bit strange in this one. So obviously with Isabella, I went full hog in trying to do something about it myself. Um, and this time I've almost gone into a little bit of a state of denial. Um, and I, I don't discuss my due date, which which not many people liked, which I find still <laughs> quite strange. I think that's really strange. And actually that's mm. how I uh, learned that you have tocophobia mm. was because you did an Instagram post where you said, I'm not going to say anything about my due date. Mm. And I thought, I totally get it. And I actually think that that's, that's okay regardless yeah. of yeah, any yeah. mental health conditions. Absolutely. I think due dates are somewhat ridiculous babies can come between 37 and 42 weeks and actually due dates and when they're supposed to be are different depending on country which is ridiculous because all women's anatomy are pretty <laughs> much the same I'm sure we're not that different from a French lady yeah it doesn't matter where we are geographically yeah, exactly and actually in France 42 weeks is normally your due date not 40 and so there's this big difference and actually psychologically I think it puts a lot of pressure on people that my baby's going to come on the first of this month and it's like no hun, it, it might come before or after and I think when you're looking forward to that day and then after that, my baby's late, my baby's late, my baby, and it's really distressing. I think psychologically go, it can be quite yeah. hard. Is your baby here? Is your baby here? When was your due, her due date was last week? Oh, let me text her. No. And I think I didn't want any of that, especially when all of that due date talk is around birth. It's about when is this birth going to happen? And I didn't want to focus on that. Um, so I just said to everyone, my baby will be here by Easter. And, and, and he will. And that, that's kind of sufficient, unless you're delivering the baby or in my immediate... In fact, I don't even think I've discussed my due date with my mum. <laughs> Um, and unless I go down the elective section route, I, I wouldn't, because there's no That's point. Because again, for her, she's like, well, until we know what's happening, I can't do anything like, anyway. People, whether it's family members or strangers on the internet, I think there's a real sense of ownership when it comes mm. to pregnancy and children and babies. And it's like, this is no one's experience apart from you yeah. and Trev and maybe, you know, your daughters yeah. in terms of them knowing when their family is going to change yeah, and I know it's exciting I know people aren't doing it because they're malicious or being no of course not it's just a really exciting time for everyone um, but I always recommend to people when they say I'm pregnant don't tell anybody when you're due or just give them a month or give them you know you don't know when that's going to be you don't want to put added pressure on yourself because you'll already be stressing out um, but I didn't tell anyone my due date and that has helped somewhat um, but also I've kind of gone down a bit of a I'm not making any decisions and I thought by now I would have been a bit I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go. I'm going to have an elective section because I might as well have had two emergencies before. 
Um, I've avoided doing much research this time round because I think actually I kind of know where I'm at. You are your research. You've you've yeah. done it twice before. Yeah, and I think it's it's really difficult because actually, so now I have had some meetings around birth with my midwife, who is lovely. Um, but actually, if you have had two sections before, you're not necessarily automatically booked in for another one, oh. um, which historically it used to be. Um, but they have changed it where, where I live. I don't know if that's nationally. But um, you don't naturally have to go down that, that route again, um, especially because actually the first one was an elective and it wasn't anything to do with any physical complication. And it was only Isabella that had to be unplanned. So there's kind of a talk around, you know, you could potentially go for a water birth or do it. You know, I've got that option. And actually part of me kind of, I think I kind of hoped that I wouldn't have an option. Yeah. So that would help because it yeah. would take that decision away. And I'd be like, okay, great, elective, yep, great. Book me in, what date? Brilliant, I'll get my hair and nails done the day before, fab. <laughs> um, and actually it's not that. So I've got some thinking to do, but I think I just keep telling myself, you know, everybody wants the best thing for me and the baby. Midwives, yeah. consultants, doctors, whoever they may be. And it, it's the one thing I always say to people who are very nervous because I get lots of messages from women going, I feel the same way as you, you know, I haven't been diagnosed yet, but I, I think I need to be, or I'm at this point, and I constantly say, do you know, I don't know your own situation, however, I do know there's not one medical professional that I have come across that doesn't want what's best for you and your baby, both of you, you yeah. both have to be safe and sound, and it's on their hands, if, if you know, God forbid, if anything happened, and it doesn't, they're so good at trying to make sure everyone's okay, yeah. and I think that's what you have to kind of keep in mind, and that's what I've tried to keep in my mind, is actually whoever's there on the day or whenever it happens or however that birth looks, everyone's interested, both of us. So in this pregnancy, just hearing you talk, it sounds like your anxiety levels are much lower. Yeah. Are you having the same kind of, you know, panic attacks or, uh, you know, dreams or irrational no, fears? definitely not. I, I haven't had any nightmares so far. I've definitely not been so panicky I think also I don't have time I've got two other kids now so whether I've wanted to or not I have no time for panic attacks and um, when I've got nappies to change and kids to drop off at school um but also I think it's that reassurance of you're both going to be okay to just you know whatever happens happens just take it in your stride but again I think that sense of denial I'm not thinking about it too heavily yeah. whereas I focus so much on it with Sophia negatively and then with Isabella Isabella um focus so much on it too try and, and get to a better place yeah. then actually this time around I'm always just kind of not really thinking about it and I've thrown myself into work yeah and I'm doing a lot of work and I'm constantly at work so I think I'm almost in my head going oh I'll just deal with it when it comes to it that's, that's really interesting though because that's that is a really different way of approaching it mm. to Isabella's pregnancy yeah. N neither you know there's no, there's no right or wrong yeah but it really feels like those are polar opposites in yeah. terms of but I, I can see I can see kind of why you would do both of those things actually yeah. what the, you know, the motivations behind both reactions yeah I have booked back onto Siobhan's course I'm going to redo it because it was so helpful before and I think one of the things I loved about it was actually whilst yes it was you know a focus around vaginal birth and, and hypnobirthing actually she teaches you ways on how to to use those skills in any birth so whether you have you know an unplanned section whether there is an emergency situation you're almost taught to have those calming you know, thoughts and, and to really bring yourself into a place where you feel okay and you feel in control. Um, and actually, I almost want an injection of that no matter what my birth looks yeah. like because I think that's so important. I think there's this big misconception that hypnobirthing is a bit hippie and only if you want no drugs and you're going to have this natural home birth. And actually, 
It's just about your mindset. Yeah. And just making sure you're calm and in control and feel safe and happy. And I think I need an injection of that. So I'm, I'm going to see her, well, going to the course in January in London. Um, and I'm excited about that because I know I felt quite good after it. Um, but I guess I'm going in with a slightly different mindset yeah whereas before I went in going right I'm gonna have a vaginal birth I'm coming in to learn all the you know I want it all let's go Mm. and this time I'm going in more to say actually I just want a a bit of reassurance yeah um I've had Siobhan on the podcast um and I think the rich is brilliant isn't she um she's a machine I mean if you want to if you want to see an example of a lady who has built up a business yeah whilst I think she she was a single mom I think when she when she first started it um, and she's got three kids now and yeah she's like just bringing out new products new things all yeah. the time and really accessible products yeah, well this this, <laughs> this is turning into a massive well, ad no, push on, but well this is more. the point i was going to make was that she's got her digital pack yeah. her digital course like which is quid, though, really affordable yeah. and that's what i love about siobhan is that actually hypnobirthing a lot of people think oh it's really expensive and it means yeah. me going along you know every saturday to a church hall and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff and actually, what she has done is she's created these YouTube videos and it's yeah, well, about, th- about 35 quid. Even the YouTube videos alone, which are free and you can go and have a look at, have been so helpful. And she also shares other people. And I think one of the things I enjoyed was that she talked about her own experience. So she's the whole point and her whole motivation was because she suffered with a traumatic birth. And so it was almost like she knows what, what I'm feeling. She kind of gets it. Yeah. And I think that helped massively. And there's um, an alone, Millie Hill. Yes. I love her. And there's so many women out there who are sharing stuff that is, is accessible and, and in some cases free yeah. for people to go and find out and get the support that they need. And I shout about both of them and I've paid, you know, for products from both of them. Um, because I find it so important and she is she's just brilliant at going you know you'll be fine yeah. and I remember texting her actually I'm pregnant again I'm going back to your course and she was like okay cool like mm. you'll be fine even Millie Hill I remember messaging or emailing her um, and she replied and That's was so like good. okay well look at this chapter in my book you know what else can you answer and, and they're such advocates for positive births but however that looks not just natural vaginal and I think that's what people assume yeah and actually it's just having a positive experience all around and feeling empowered to ask for what you want I really want to read Millie Hill's latest book how to give birth like a feminist I've got it I I haven't started reading it yet and I'm so excited to read it because it looks brilliant yeah and again it's that it's about empowering people to make choices and if you're not comfortable with something to say I'm not comfortable with that and I think that's the bit we don't always go with because we just think well I'll just let everybody take control because they know what they're doing but actually you know your body as well I I have to say in both of my births I don't know whether I've given birth twice or three times three times um (laughs) you you did get two for one I get confused (laughs) (laughs) twin mums tell me um but yeah, I think I'm, I've been quite guilty of just kind of whatever whatever the people, you know, with the white coats say or whatever yeah. the people wearing the scrubs say, you know, they, they're, they're the experts, they're in charge. Yeah, and actually a good medical professional will tell you what you need to know, but also leave you to, to take some ownership and some control over what, what you want as well if it's not a medical emergency. And I think that's the balance. And just like that consultant did, he originally, he kind of let me feel at least somewhat empowered and understood and, and said fine and yes he explained the risks they have to but he still was like you know but you've got these options too and I was like huh like, options what do you mean and I think it's about being able to say I'm not comfortable with that I don't I don't really like that why do I have to have that and we don't ask those questions yeah. at all and that's I think part of what I loved about both Millie and Siobhan is that they're saying 
saying that, Mars Lord is another amazing yes, doula. She's a doula, isn't she? Who's incredible, again, about empowering people to make those decisions yeah. and say, I'm not comfortable with that. Or, you know, can I ask a question about that? Or just explain that to me again. Um, because it's your body, you know, you know, it's quite, it, whether you're, you have a vaginal birth or a C-section, it's quite invasive. There's a lot that goes through. Um, and you want to be able to have, you know, a position to say, can you just tell me why I need to take that? Yeah. what's that exactly for yeah and i so, found okay. even things like um like once the baby's here things like the vitamin d injections mm. or even like when they say um you know we could give you an injection to uh for, for the placenta to come out yeah. more quickly stuff like that i was like i don't really know what the right answer is here <laughs> and actually just whatever you th whatever you say yeah. I, I in that respect i probably was quite unprepared yeah um and there are some people who would go into birth knowing before exactly what they want in that situation where I was I was like I don't know yeah. uh, whatever you think yeah. what do most people do yeah and you do think you just go with the majority because you're like I don't know I don't know what happens here <laughs> what are the pros and cons yeah and no one's got time to give you that no because they're the like because they're like well we're doing it now <laughs> we haven't got a choice I've got five of the women to go and see yeah we've got a flip chart we've got a powerpoint presentation <laughs> you could just let me research it and come back to you tomorrow that'd be great yeah. and it's just no one's got the time for that and I think it's just about resourcing that information yourself and being able to be in a position where you go, okay, I, I feel more comfortable asking about why I need that. So even this time around when she said, you know, you could potentially have a water birth, the first thing I said, which is, it's crazy, which I don't think I ever knew existed, was, oh, does that mean you've got wireless monitoring? So, you know, who even knew what that was before? I wouldn't have known what that was, but actually it means that you can monitor your baby whilst you're in the pool. Oh. And some hospitals don't have that, So, which is why some women who need you know, monitor, their babies monitored can't go into the pool because you can't obviously have the the BP things in yeah. the pool with you but actually some have wireless monitoring which are waterproof so you can so all these things that I just never knew I was I so proud when I asked that I didn't like, know that existed yeah so there are options so so for example when people say you can't have a water birth because you need monitoring okay have you got the facilities to do this no okay well I'll find another local hospital that does all those things that I never thought yeah. were even possible. With, with my first, I didn't even know that you could choose where to have birth. Yeah. I went on to my GP. They booked me into our local hospital and it was fine. And I did yeah. have give birth there. But it wasn't until I went to my NCT classes, kind of when I was maybe about six or seven months pregnant, that the NCT teacher was saying, well, of course, you've all got choices and mm -hmm. you've all chosen by now. And I was like, what do you mean choose, huh? <laughs> huh? Yeah. Choose. So, yeah, okay. you know, there's, I, I kind of feel a bit like at the beginning of your pregnancy, your first pregnancy, you almost need a bit of a, an antenatal session then yeah. to be like, right, guys, this is what the next nine months looks like. Yeah. These are the choices you're going to have to make. And these are, you know, the things that you need to consider. Yeah. And I think that's why I, and a lot of this came from Charles course when she talked about hospitals. I was like, what do you mean? And then it was actually look for hospitals that have midwives that specialize in mental health that maybe your local hospital doesn't have and my, my local hospital now does have a team um, and they're brilliant who specifically support mums who have either had previous sections or suffer with any mental health issues whether that's pregnancy related or otherwise and it's almost being that proactive team rather than waiting to the last minute and then going oh okay someone's you know, yeah. got an issue here. we need to deal with this yeah, yeah. And, and so it is helpful and actually should they not have had that facility I may have looked for another hospital and I've done that that does um, so I could have the support that I know I need. Um, and I do feel like I probably should do a bit more because I'm telling everyone now, go do this, go and do this and get the research. And I've just got, I'm in denial about being pregnant again. I'm just not going to do anything. No, I don't know. I think, you know, regardless of whether someone has tocophobia or not, the third time, you know, getting to this stage of pregnancy, you're going to be a bit more relaxed about it. And, yeah. I, and I was probably the same, actually, when I was pregnant with the twins. I was probably a little bit kind of, 
oh, it'll be fine. Oh, I, I do need to look into that and I do need to think about this, but I'll do it another day. Yeah. I think you, you get what that less kind of sense of urgency. Yeah, and I think I, so Isabella was early, which is, I guess is the only thing that's making me feel a little bit like I need to make sure I planned around that and I, I go on tour in February when I'm pretty heavily pregnant and I've kind of gone oh, is this the right thing to do am I making myself really busy up until the last minute no, we'll see what happens yeah, it's going to be great at taking your mind off things you well, know, if, if, know. You, if you really are still going to be in denial by, yeah. by February that's perfect yeah and I have offered any midwives to come for free just in case just in case I like you know accidentally have to have my baby on stage bring the hot towels why do people talk about hot towels during during birth I've never seen I've never a seen a hot towel anywhere. no but it's like a real thing like bring the hot towels yeah and nobody it's funny actually because it's only called the midwife it's probably the only program about birthing to some degree that I watch I guess there's more stories to it than just yeah. giving birth of babies but they covered an episode on tocophobia and I remember loads of people messaging me on Instagram going oh my gosh are you watching all the midwife they're talking about tocophobia and I was like no way and I was so happy that they they covered it one because I don't even know if it was even actually a thing back yeah then, but they covered it and I was so pleased that someone somewhere had said this is a real thing that we need to discuss because again I think it does get brushed off slightly as of course you're scared you don't well, understand yeah I, I, I really feel like that there are probably a lot of women who have suffered from this in the past and really probably have just been you know dismissed yeah. and you know health professionals and family members are probably like oh she's just you know everyone's scared of giving birth yeah and everyone does it and everyone's fine so get mm, over it yeah. those are the sorts of things that get thrown around um, and that's so scary because actually there, there is, and I guess it's that where does the line get drawn as to this is just a very normal feeling to actually you're now borderline, this is completely irrational. And for me, it was the lack of sleep, it was the dreams, it was the fact that I was adamant I wasn't going to have this baby because I couldn't, I couldn't physically do it. Um, and I always say to people, you just just talk about it and don't stop talking about it. Make sure someone hears you and have a partner or someone with you that can empower you when you don't feel like you can say anything. Because we all do it. We all go into these consultant midwife appointments with this list of things we're going to say and we're going to tell them and we're going to do. And then you get there and you say nothing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you just sit there and go, OK, mm-hmm, OK, yep, yeah, yep, I'll do that. OK, brilliant. And so it's really important to have someone who will go, well, actually can we ask about this yeah. and that will prompt you and empower you to, yeah. to have those conversations so if anyone's listening and they they are thinking actually this is this sounds familiar this mm. sounds like something that i'm feeling right now are there any resources are there any websites um any kind of organizations that are helping with this kind of thing so i know millie hill in her book the positive i think it's the positive birth sure it's called the positive birth she talks about fear and and kind of where you can go to get some help i know that locally if you look at your uh, nhs website for your maternity services they will have a lot of the time a specific unit that focuses on mothers who suffer with any mental health condition so whether actually you're just anxious in general and worried that that will escalate to something else it's well worth um mentioning um also and i know i say this with a bit of caution the internet um, because <laughs> nobody go and Google birth. That's just like the worst thing. But actually, there's a lot of support networks out there um, about positive births. And, and actually, one of the things I found really helpful, especially with Isabella, was following groups that were just about positive birth stories. Um, I know Siobhan's got a Facebook group as well. There's loads of little communities. There's literally, if you just put positive birth in Facebook, there's a lot of local communities as well where you can meet with other mums who just share positive experiences. And actually, that alone 
is so reassuring um because if you're in any other mum group or you know where people just talk about birth very openly it's not always going to be something positive that you know that you want to hear or see because a lot of people post pictures and images as well and videos and all sorts of stuff um but they're really really good um and anything to do with hypnobirthing or meditation I absolutely recommend it, everybody. And I used to plug in every night and listen to positive affirmations about birth. And again, no matter what your birth looks like, they were so empowering. Um, and actually, I had a lady once message me and say, you know, I'm just even scared to try and get pregnant because I know that this is, you know, I'm going to end up being so scared. And I said to her, actually, the affirmation cards I have, yes, they're, you know, for while you're pregnant, but actually they kind of affirm to you that your body can do this. So it probably encourage you to think, actually, I can do this. Yeah. Um, so I was like, there's no wrong or right time to start getting that and start having those positive affirmations in your life that say, you know, your body can do this. You're, you're going to be okay. You know, I will have a, a safe and beautiful birth, however that looks. And I said, start that now so that your body and your mind are ready, you know, to, to go down that route when, when you are. Yeah. Um, and those are kind of my choices, but my biggest thing is having a supporter having someone who will shout your corner. And if you are too hysterical one day or there is a point where you can't speak for yourself, there is someone who will speak on your behalf and has all your interests at heart and will say, no, no, that's not what she wanted. She wanted to do this. And, I, and, and my husband, really, Trevor's really, really good at that. Um, and he and he is brilliant at saying all the right things. And <laughs> I would never forget, I always say to people, when I had Sophia and I was had an elective section, we'd done all these antenatal classes and he was sat by my head and he was going, you're doing so much, just breathe, breathe. And he was like, I had oh, in for nine or in for eight and out. And I was going, you realise I'm actually not doing anything. <laughs> like, I'm like, completely numb for my test. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I was like, you're doing so oh. well. But he had been taught to yeah. like be this big support and he just thought, I'm going to throw everything they've told me to say at her. And I remember just staring at him going, um, <laughs> like, like, it's fine. I, I, you know, I don't need to breathe like that. I'm yeah. totally okay at the I'm minute. Sure it probably helped you though, having that positivity in your ear. Yeah, and it, and it was brilliant. And, and when I had his fellow, he was the same. Although he took a selfie with the anesthetist, which was hilarious <laughs> they literally just and I actually really liked that environment and he said to them he said you know even though some plan can like Jess likes talking she likes the feel of you know not too surgical not too clinical yeah that, that will make her worried and they were they were super chill I remember the surgeon saying to me so you've got any holidays but oh I love that I was like you were initial saying to the nurse are oh, you good she was like yeah we're going on this holiday and they were that's like, what you need I, an, an, I can't say the word anesthetist yep um, who was really chatty as well yeah. and she was so kind of like just taking my mind off it and Absolutely. distracting me from what yeah. was going on and she, every now and again she would say oh um, uh, that's one baby out or you know like yeah. you know, give me an update on what was happening Yeah. but then she would just be chatting about like oh what, what do you do and, and he led that for me and kind of said to them because I was too busy you know oh okay yeah this this do this you've got to have this and and I kind of wasn't really paying much shit but having someone who will say just keep her a bit distracted or can mm. we have a chat and he very much led that conversation That's it was good. brilliant and it really helped and I just definitely think everyone needs one person just one person who will be an advocate for you and go I totally get what you mean whatever you need let's let's go for it it's it. probably the biggest and probably the best thing Fantastic. Jess, um, I massively appreciate you coming on to talk about Anytime. this because I just think it's so important. And I think that the more we talk about this stuff, the more awareness we're raising yeah. and the more helpful that is to women who are pregnant and having these irrational fears and, yeah. you know, giving them the, 
you know, empowering them to have those conversations with health professionals that they're that they're seeing. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I say this every week, but big thank you to you for listening. I couldn't do it without you. Um, do hop over to iTunes and rate and review and subscribe to the podcast because it really helps. Uh, make sure you're following me on Instagram. Make sure you're following Jess on Instagram because she's really good. And I'll catch up with you next week for another episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.